Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.com.au and ask us. It was over, it said silence is strength. And I agree with his point of view. And the greater the length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. Welcome to episode three of The Penis Project. We hope that you enjoy today's show when we talk to Parker. Parker is another prostate cancer survivor and we're going to stick with this theme for September as it's International Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. Parker had surgery in April 2020 and has recovered exceedingly well. He was newly married at diagnosis and he's in his 60s so sexual function was particularly important to Parker and his partner. The topics included today are continence, sexual function and much more. There's also the case of the disappearing penis. Anyway, we really hope you enjoy today's show and we really want you to bear with our technical difficulties with our audio. We're sorry for all of you who found it difficult to hear the first few episodes and we promise that we're onto it and hopefully our technical difficulties will be resolved in the next couple of episodes and it'll be much better audio quality. Thanks for listening and we hope you subscribe and come back again. There's music and dreams and calls and songs just waiting for quiet. So today we're talking to Parker, who had his operation as a robotic removal of his prostate in April this year. Um, Parker has a very interesting story because he had actually only been married for five months when they first found out that he had prostate cancer. So we're really interested to hear about your story. So how did you become to be diagnosed? Well, many, many years ago, in fact it was 99, I... uh in, had to have a open heart surgery uh, and the quad bypass, which was uh, certainly uh, the biggest shock in my life at that stage. Uh, not expected, obviously. Uh, non, you know, never smoked, not a big drinker, always played sport, and suddenly this was upon me. And so, from there on, on with medication and everything else that goes along with heart surgery, you have to have. Uh, Everything checked every year. Sorry, just as a side, how old are you? I'm sixty-seven now. Okay, so just as a as a sideline for anyone listening, that um, Parker is sixty-seven, but he's very fit and healthy for his age, and certainly doesn't look like someone who would have cardiac problems. Well, a lot of people have said that I didn't deserve it. In fact, my doctor was one of them. <laughs> uh, I was forty-six when that happened, um, and they said, you know, wow, that's very young. Uh, but it's genetics. Uh, you know, I can, you cannot avoid genetics in life. No. Uh, and it's also probably part and parcel of what's happened now. You know, yeah. Some of my relatives in England would have had it as well. You know, sure. So it's the way it works. Um, but because of my heart surgery, every year you have uh, blood checks and such. So PSA was one of them. And, you know, we followed that and it was fine. It was like one point something. And then it was, it went up to about 2.3, I believe, something like that. Uh, then um, last year, um, I was actually going away 
on holidays uh, to New Zealand um, with my wife and I had a check before I went and it got it, it came back as 5.2 I believe something like that which caused a bit of a, a concern um, but they didn't they sort of uh, said oh look we better check that so we did and uh, sure enough um, there was the result was I had uh, three tumours. Yep. So that was your PSA was elevated. Yep. Yeah. And then yep. they did a biopsy. Yep. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I came back um, from New Zealand uh, because of COVID, obviously, um, uh, and luckily got in to get my uh, after isolation of two weeks. Uh, I had my biopsy, and then that concluded that yes, it was three tumours. Um, fortunately. Uh, all within the prostate, uh, which was terrific news, although a big shock. Uh, so it's turned out very well. And when, what made you decide, so your path that you chose to go down was surgery. Was there ever a choice for you? Like, did you ever consider other treatment options or was it always surgery was the way to go? Given the time frame, uh, the, the severity, mm-hmm. um, the, there was one tumour that was, um, I forget the name of the scale. What, uh, There's a Gleason. The yeah. Gleason scale. Um, one of them was seven, one was six, and one was, I think, four or five. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that was seven was at the neck of the bladder. Okay. Uh, 0.3 of a millimetre, I believe, protrusion, mm-hmm. uh, which was a good way to catch it. Yes. Uh, so... I personally, I never opted for anything else but surgery. Yeah. And I I knew the result wouldn't have been, was going to be good, but the result for me in my life was going to be a bit different. Yeah. And so how did you and your wife feel when you found out, like what were the things that concerned you the most? How many tissues I was going to use when I I was crying. (laughs) Um, It was a shock, uh, unexpected. And we had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, my wife is very understanding. Uh, and I'm imagining that, you know, because you don't hadn't been married long, even at your age, and any young people listening will be horrified to think that 67-year-olds still have sex, but I imagine that <laughs> the loss of, of the potential loss of function was an issue for both uh, of you. Of great concern. Yeah. Uh, it's quite funny when you said about uh, at 67 having sex, Every time I mention it to my children, which I, I do forget, <laughs> uh, and especially my daughter, um, I have said some things on because she lives in Dubai, so <laughs> we get on uh, on Skype, and uh, I, I, I mentioned I'm going to see a sexologist, and she went, "Oh no, my kids are listening." <laughs> and the next minute, my granddaughter says, "What's a sexologist?" <laughs> So that was embarrassing, but I mean, she and my daughter blushed just as I am, and I think now. But you know, it's truly it was. So and you funny. are red. You are red. <laughs> it was no so. It. it was so funny. <laughs> but anyway, we got around that too. So um, she's probably your granddaughter's probably gone to primary school now and said to the teacher, "My granddad sees a sexologist." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, my daughter has explained. But um, yeah. Okay, so. and then what about did continence worry you? Like the- uh, well, it was always going to be of concern, but um, that's why we come to see people like yourselves yeah, to get around it. And if you do the right thing and you uh, behave, uh, 
So I think we'll hand over to Jo now and she can talk to you about your continence journey and then we'll come back to the erections after. Certainly. That sounds fascinating. Now, Parker, (laughs) what was really fascinating, I'm having a check of your notes, Parker, and you were one of my more unusual patients from the beginning, so I didn't even get to see you prior to the um, radical prostatectomy. If we look back and think what was going on in the world at the time, COVID had just hit. And so you actually had your biopsy April the 7th, but you had your prostatectomy on the 15th, On the fifteenth, just one week later. So there was really no time to act because it was an extremely unique situation. Mm. And uh, I know your surgeon would have been concerned that had he not done it within the next week or two, quite possibly you would have had to wait months for that. Do you remember all how that was, you know? Yes, being, I do. Yeah. Um, my surgeon... Uh, had to pull a few strings, I believe, uh, because mm. of COVID. Uh, hospitals were not accepting uh, operations, uh, but we he got it in, um, programmed it in, and and I just said, "Yep, let let's do it." Um, it was I was very fortunate. I believe very lucky. You were, and in in my um, PhD, I actually spent a lot of time trying to prove that a five week bleeding time on average was ideal for a man. So normally we would have done a biopsy and waited six weeks before we do surgery and most patients then um, were able to have about a five-week bleeding time to actually improve that pelvic floor function to, that was going to assist yeah. with continence recovery. So we didn't have that window of opportunity at all. So what basically happened was I saw Parker two weeks after his surgery, he had his catheter in for about 10 days, a little bit longer than um, usual, often it's about seven days if you have the robotic technique, um, but that was... Um, all just a slight issue or two happened. You had a catheter block. Do you remember I telling re- us about that little retention issue you experienced? Yes, that was the most painful experience. Um, on a Sunday night, I went to the toilet before I went to you know, pop into bed, and nothing happened. Uh, a bit strange, and the feeling was there, but nothing happened. And I thought, oh, I'll go to bed now, I'll get up, and I'll be fine, you know. <laughs> At midnight, I woke up, I don't think I really slept a great deal, um, and I was getting desperate. Uh, nothing happened again. I just couldn't go. It felt like it was there, but it wouldn't go. So I, so I woke my wife up and I said, there's something wrong. I said, I, the, I just can't go to the toilet. So mm. I said, I think we need to do something about this. Yep. So I, um, she took me to the hospital. Yep. At one thirty in the morning, when we when we got there, because I was pacing the floor trying different things, and, and I think one thirty we got to the hospital and uh, in emergency at uh, Murdoch. But luckily, it wasn't busy, and they got me in relatively quick. And I think around two o'clock in the morning, they rang my surgeon. Yep. Um, he, and it was a Saturday night. Uh, Sunday, I believe. Sunday. It yeah, was so a Sunday he night. Got a, he got a two a.m. wake up call. They're very diligent, the surgeons. They yes. stand by for you. He's, I, I did thank him, and he said, oh, look, you know, that's what we do. Yeah. He was very casual about that one. I think I, he had two that weekend. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I guess he used to it. Yeah. Um, so, yes, the cath- we had to get a catheter re, um, reinstated to uh, get the, the blockage clear. And, yes. Uh, do you remember how much was in that, that catheter? I've got the number here. I just wondered if it's embedded in your mind, how much you actually had in your bladder that was drained uh, out. It was a litre, 990... <laughs> 
a Miller, I think it was. And Melissa's in shock too. <laughs> my, yeah. my blood is tweaking with thinking about having to yeah. hold on to so that. It's not, the... it's not the first time I've had a litre, because uh, through angiograms uh, years ago, uh, that's mm. you have. they make you go, they give you lots of water and mm. it's got to flush it, everything out. So mm. I've had a litre before, so I knew that it was going to be uh, a lot, but I mean the pain was excruciating. Uh, in fact, I was I was beside myself. I yeah. I, I was really hurting, Very and stressed. and I yeah. said, look, just get something done quick. He said, yeah. well, I've just got to ring your surgeon, and hopefully he answers. Well, thank heavens he did, yeah. and said, look, you know what size catheter you to to, you know, to install and yeah. or insert, um, and the relief was immediate, and um, and let me tell you, the staff there were fantastic. Right. Uh, yeah, they. I've had great staff looking after the whole you. time. Well, yeah. that's, that's, that's great to hear. Mm. Now, we then had the catheter flowing okay, and so you just had to keep that in for an extra few days. Uh, yeah, and a, and a week, yeah. A week. And then all up, you then came to see me. Once your catheter had been removed for about a week, you came back and we had our first meeting. So unusually, as I said before, I didn't actually get to see you until after your operation. That's right. And on that presentation on that day, you were basically getting up about three times a night at that stage. You were using the pull-up disposable nappy-type underwear. How do you feel wearing those? What do you recall if that was an inconvenience or if that was a bit of, you know, stressful, a shock? It, it didn't actually worry me. <laughs> I've had to wear them before. Right. Um, there's a story. Yeah, there's a story there too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to recall why. I, I will think about we that one. We might wait that for another yeah, podcast. Yeah, another one. Um, That's okay. I'll just refresh where you're at on that day. You were wearing the uh, pull-up nappies at night and you were wearing three of our larger size pads called yeah. the Level 3. Yep. So what you also said was that from the pathology report you had a small prostate, so... We often know that if someone's leaking quite a bit, and I'd say you were leaking quite a bit, that the prostate is often a bit larger. So when it's removed and missed, we know very much that the prostate used to support the bladder quite a bit. Mm. So in my uh, clinical observation, the fact that we didn't get to train your pelvic floor at all before was probably a little bit of a reason why you were a little bit wesher from the beginning. Do you have any comment to make on that? Um. Yes, uh, I was <laughs> I was leaking a lot. In fact, it was ridiculous. It just didn't want to stop. So, especially when you lay down, it's fine. Stand up, things change. You know, mm. the gravity gravity, gravity <laughs> takes yeah. over, and yeah. yes, it, and it just kept on flowing. I'm thinking, oh, geez, when's this going to stop? But it actually did stop. I think, I think the, the first two days after the catheter came out was the worst because then it was it was uh, irritated yes so yes. you know that that was yeah, very sensitive having the catheter in shrinks the size of the bladder so the bladder forgets how to hold yeah. and i was going to say that a normal bladder holds up to 600 mils at night time most mm. people start to get a bit of an urge yeah. around four five hundred mils so when you had 998 mils yeah it was no wonder you're in pain yeah that was pain and then during but the day you often have half that amount before you get the urge around about 200 250 so all right yeah you were you were very full and then your bladder had to learn to 
stretch back out again. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, which it did. Uh, I, the pads actually, I went out and bought a lot of pads. In fact, I still have some which are never going to get used. You're going to bring them back to me. I call them the boomerang pads because the next bloke who I meet doesn't really want to go shopping for a new, for a new oh, box. Oh, okay. So yes, I would <laughs> drop them back to me. Okay. I went crazy and bought all these. I thought, oh, these are going to, I'm going to need these for months. Well, I've still got them. So, uh, <laughs> you know. It, it actually stopped very quickly, I have to say, once I got on to, you know, seeing you and getting um, the, the pelvic floor working, it was under control very quickly and the progress has been terrific. Great. And can you remember how I taught you pelvic floor? Can you just explain what method we used to assess your pelvic floor and, and what the you ended up doing? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, you... Um, just put the ultrasound again to with the liquid without gel, yeah. very cold stuff. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, make sure that you are correctly using that muscle, um, which I, I had actually tried um, probably a few days before I saw you uh, in hope and hoping that I was doing it correctly. So yes, I was luckily. Um, and yeah, it, it worked and... And what position did I assess you in? Do you remember? Were you sitting, standing, lying? Uh, standing. Standing. And do you remember that I talked about the reason you might get leakage is because of gravity? And mm -hmm. so the best, the best thing for you to do would be to do most of your exercises in standing. That's correct. And that's what my own research um, also showed. And we have, we'll have access to those research papers in our show notes. Um, but Parker, I'm really interested. Was it, you know, uh, onerous to do those pelvic floor exercises, I set the standard quite high, five or six sets a day of 10 quick ones and 10 slow ones, mm. which is roughly 100, 120 pelvic floor exercises in standing a day. How onerous was that for you to actually do? Because I wasn't really doing anything else, yeah. post-op, post uh, it was relatively easy. Okay. Um, and your penis wasn't working, so you couldn't play with it. Yeah, that was all you had right, to yeah. do. You yeah. know, in fact, it just about disappeared. Um, I, I got around it. I mean, you know, you'd, you'd think, oh, I'll go and do them. And I have to say that because I'm like months later, yep. you actually forget. Great. You know, you, you do forget to do your exercises. So now I make sure I get up in the morning and I do them. And then at around lunchtime, I go and do them again. And then later in the evening, I'll do them again. So I always tell patients, once you're dry, continue to do three sets of pelvic floor. Yep or even a day into your very last breath. I really want you to continue doing them because we also know that that improves the erectile function recovery. Now, before I swing back to Melissa to talk about that penile shrinkage and retraction and what she did to help you with that, I've just had a quick look at your notes again and we've re basically reported um, with no pelvic floor training before the surgery, me seeing you um, approximately three weeks after the surgery, after that little bit of catheterization time, that within about five weeks you were completely continent you were going back to cycling you were on your sup stand up paddleboard mm -hmm. um you were wearing no pads whatsoever you were sleeping through the night seven hours a night that you'd even had um some prosecco melissa mm. and i like a bit of prosecco. <laughs> that you'd actually then um had an opportunity to meet with melissa and um commence a little bit of medication and I'm going to let you two continue with the rest. So, the but first, But yes. before you say that, I have had effects from drinking too much. And yes. Especially beer. Yes. 
Okay. Uh, the prosecco wasn't a problem because it wasn't <laughs> a real, it was because I didn't drink that much. But when you drink beer, it's a totally different See, story. See, that's because it starts with a P. Everything <laughs> that starts okay. with a P, it's okay. You beat me to that. <laughs> Luckily, I only ever drink two beers, and so that's fine. But I do notice there is a definite difference for when you drink beer. Okay. Well, before you spring to Melissa, I might just actually say I've got a little alcohol um, intensity. So we have beer. That's the worst. And then white wine, that's the next on the list. Please from bad red to wine good. good. Red wine is the next not so bad. And a spirits on the rocks is okay. So it seems that the purer the alcohol, the less processed and obviously the less volume, yes. the more tolerability and the gassiness of it. Prosecco fits somewhere in the middle. But here's my thing. If you're someone that's going back into a social situation and you want to have a drink or two, it is okay, but you realise that temporarily you may actually have some leakage and you better pad up, that within 24 hours it's going to settle right back down again. But to literally think about it, if you're going to be drinking alcohol, don't stand up. Your muscles are going to get relaxed by the pelvic floor. See if you can sit down and wear some black pants in case there is any accidents and, and um, you'll find gradually over time you should improve. But beer, you'll learn your limiting point. You might get to two or three and that's enough. Long term, I always say to guys, beer is going to be a bit of a barometer test. Um, also, it's not going to really help with the brewer's droop aspect of things. Um, <laughs> so, Melissa, you can, yeah, okay. have, have your contributions here, I think. So, the first thing I want to ask about is the case of the disappearing penis. What did you think when you woke up and you looked down? Well, I wasn't happy. <laughs> <laughs> I was not happy. Is this with a catheter in? Yep. yep. Catheter okay. in yeah, immediately no, post. It just, uh, yeah, post off it just disappears. Yeah. Um, definite difference in uh, appearance. Um, but then I thought, oh, well, you know, the catheter's in. When the gap comes out, things will be fine. Catheter was removed and I did notice a change in the shape. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the... Uh, prostate being removed the tube gets pulled a little bit and reconnected and it changes the the shape uh, but thanks to melissa that's changed <laughs> it's back to normal now so the first time i saw you was also post-op which is unusual because i also like joe like to see people about four weeks before because it's just nice to tell people that it's not all doom and gloom and that we can help so um and I would normally tell you if I had have seen you then, when you wake up, they're going to think that the surgeon's chopped half your penis off, but he hasn't. It's just hiding like a turtle's head back in where the prostate was. And once we get onto some rehab, it'll come back out. So now that we've been doing the rehab, and I'll get you to tell us what you're doing, but now you've been doing it, do you feel like it's returned pretty much to normal size? It has. It has. Great. My wife's very happy. So how did you feel the first time you and your wife had to come to visit me? Like, how were you feeling about that? Uh, because I had options, yeah. uh, medication, mm-hmm. uh, which I I thought, yeah, well, the medication, one of them will work. Yeah. Uh, and I was sort of uh, banking on that. I had... Um, I think Spedra? Yes. Right. Yeah. So the that first was the time. First one I yeah. Took. So I'll just give you a bit of background there for the listeners. The first time that Parker came to see me, I gave him an option of three different medications that all cause erections. So most people have heard of Viagra, there's also Spedra, and there's also Cialis. Um, and so we, I gave you a trial of all. So, yeah, you keep continuing. First, I took the Spedra 
not fully understanding how it was going to work, <laughs> I took it and we watched a movie on TV. And I was expecting this thing to have a great effect. Well, nothing happened. I said, well, that was a waste of time, wasn't it? Oh, I thought that the first time I heard about Viagra too. Yeah, know. then I, um, a few days later, I thought I'm going to take the, uh, what, was the, what was the Cialis? The Cialis, yep. Uh, now, I didn't feel good. It, I didn't mm-hmm. like the way it made me feel. Yeah. And uh, I didn't think I was getting any effect from it. Uh, so I took one of the Viagra ones. Yep. And we went for a walk. Please tell me you didn't take one of the Viagra ones the same day as the Cialis. I think I might have. Great. Excellent. <laughs> I'm not. I'm being sarcastic. We went, don't we, ever do that at home. We went for a walk and I felt terrible. Yes. And I said, I don't think I can go too much further. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, I, I, I must clarify that I still got a, an undamaged heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, um, we fought everything on the right side, so my heart is undamaged. But I still have heart disease. Yes, and that is something I'll always have. So I have to be careful. I think the effect of my medication I'm on for my heart, and the Viagra, and the Cialis, bad. It wasn't a good mix. Also, so I opted, I don't want to take medication. Yeah, and so. the other thing is, is even people who... So there's a bit of a urban myth that people that have heart problems can't take these drugs, and that's actually not true. I, people who take, have angina can't, but people who have normal like blood pressure problems and things like that can. But the problem is, is all those drugs cause vasodilation, and so a lot of people will get headaches or they'll feel flushed or they'll feel dizzy yeah. and they just don't feel well. And tablets work everywhere in your body. So there's another option that you've taken up. Um, oh, sorry, before that, I'd like to just get back to the rehab program I put you on was using a particular contraption. And how, mm. how, what is that and how do you find it? You mean the hydro pump? The hydro pump, that's it. Uh, it works fantastic. Yeah. Um, so what do you do and how often do you use it? Um, well, I'm using it daily because I love the effect. <laughs> 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 I have... You have to... The perfect patient strikes Exactly. <laughs> I'm in love with it. That's what it is. <laughs> um, What's its name? Priscilla? <laughs> no, I meant my penis. <laughs> uh, the, the pump, you know, in the shower, fill it up, put it on, pump it, and it extends the penis. Yeah. Um, and But it doesn't just... It isn't a one-off. You mm-hmm. then have to refill and do it again. And... Uh, on the third time, the effect is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but sadly, when you finish that, because of in the way it is, it wants to go down again. So, you know, that's yeah. just the way it is. So the purpose of using it is just a fact of if you don't use it, you lose it, and you're just exercising your penis. It's yep. like taking it to the gym. Yep. And it gets to put a smile on your face when it you does. see it's a normal size. It's a size. great feeling. There's yep. no doubt. Good. Uh, I think every there wouldn't be a man alive that doesn't like feeling of an erection yeah you know Excellent. although it is not a full erection it is enlargement and uh, it's just a nice feeling and yeah. when so when you decided that pills weren't for you and and in saying that that early on post-op pills really probably wouldn't give you an erection anyway but most men want to try pills before they try the alternative because the alternative sounds scary mm. but you went for the alternative so tell us a bit about that the uh, the alternative being the needle <laughs> uh I knew that was the, the last 
alternative. I knew that was the going to be the last thing and I didn't think I would need it. Yep. Turned out that yes, I did because as you say, it was early after my operation and the medication, yeah, probably wasn't going to work very well. The needles work very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving yourself an injection uh, wasn't what I was expecting. Uh, Carol has never had, hasn't actually had to do it yet. I don't have an issue with it now. It's easy. Great. And where, for the people who don't know, do you put the needle? Directly into the penis. Yeah. Don't do what I did once and missed and got the head. But anyway, <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> so does it hurt when you put it in the right spot? No. 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 In fact, um, I've done it uh, several times now and haven't felt it. Great. Uh, sometimes it does. So you have a, a, a very slight feeling, but not pain. It's just a feeling. And is it worth the result? What sort of result do you get after you? The result is absolutely incredible. So yeah. you're getting a good erection, like you were 18 again? No, no. no. I don't think that'll ever happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At 67, I don't think it's going to happen. Those little shockwave things might be coming along soon. Good. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, no, I don't think it'll ever be like it was. You know, yeah. even, bef- even pre-op, yeah. it wasn't... A, Ever as hard. Would be your heart? No. no. Uh, I wonder, but it's age. Yeah, you know? and and do you find though that like is with the needle is your is your erections as good as they were pre-op? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And how long does your erection last for? Um, possibly two hours. Yeah. Uh, and but it, generally, I you know after we've had a lovemaking session. Um, you fall asleep. Yeah. And when you wake up, it's gone. Gone, yeah. And yeah. it's not two hours full hard, though, is it? It's just like no. goes semi after it's a while. semi because yeah. what I've also found is that once you lay down, it is not as effective. Yes, yeah. Uh, once again because of... Uh, Bloody gravity. Uh, yes, and also age because yeah. your arteries aren't working as efficiently mm-hmm. uh, and blood is returning and things like that because we all know it's engorgement of, of, of blood as well. As well as this chemical, I, yeah. and obviously I, I'm not sure what it is, but for the small amount that you insert, uh, it has a great effect. Excellent. And do you like? I know you've just recently been camping on a camping trip, and like, did you find that that was a problem having to take the injectable material with you no, and doing all that? Yeah, it's no. a tiny bottle, no problem. You need a fridge. Well, we have it. We've got an angle, so you yeah. know, you just. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a problem. And, but no, look, I think we only uh, engaged in activity three or four times <laughs> in a month. Yeah. Uh, you know, which, uh, because sometimes, well, for the first 10 days, my brother and sister were with us, right? So that wasn't going to happen. No. Um, and then when you've been on the road for a day, you're a bit tired. Yeah, of course. You know, and then, you know, you have a drink. And yeah. Sorry, you shouldn't be drinking. <laughs> but, you know, you as have long a drink. So right. you know that's what happens, but no, I found it not, it not inconvenience. Excellent. At all. So the long term aim now. I'm just thinking about how far post op you are. About four and a half months now. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. So the long term aim is that we'd expect that over time, over the next two years, those nerves are going to heal and you won't need injections anymore. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's a great to hear that. You know, you're pretty much back to living a normal life. That's how it sounds to me. Is that how it feels to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's absolutely fine. Um, my confidence is fine. Uh, I have noticed that yes, when I drink, 
Yeah. You know, there is a little... Uh, it's not quite as efficient. Yes. But it does return. And if I do my exercises... Uh, yeah. And no that problem. systemic awful feeling that you had when you took the pills, you're not getting that at all with the injections? No. No. And that's, that's because the injection is such a small dose. It only works at that in your penis, basically, and it doesn't work anywhere else. And the other great thing, I think, about injections, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but a lot of patients tell me that in the past their erection has gone down straight after they've had an orgasm, but with the injections it stays up. So sometimes they can have more than one orgasm. That's you, a bonus. You've had this bonus? Um, we haven't um, had a follow-up, <laughs> okay. if that's what you want to call it, uh, but it's possible. Yeah, it's possible, exactly. Uh, and I think, you know, that's kind of a little bit of the silver lining of yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I think also it, you still have, at my age, an energy level. Yes, of course. Uh, I'm very energetic, but, you know, um, if lovemaking goes well, uh, it's not quick. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you're yeah. tired. No, it's um, So really, no, it's... Uh, a second time round isn't necessary. Yeah. And I think particularly uh, because you only... I mean, you and your wife have been together for two years, but you'd only been married five months. Mm. So, you know, the intimacy part of your relationship is still yeah. quite new. You're still yeah. in limerence, hopefully. Yeah, and, everything is mm. fine. Yeah, uh, it's good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. Now, is there anything we haven't asked you that you think men would like to know about? I think it's a big... It's definitely a huge shock when you get told that you've got prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know full well that people can die from it. Yeah. And until you get the biopsy um, and the confirmation of the degree of the level of the... Gleason. The yeah, Gleason. On the Gleason yeah. scale. Um, then you, you really don't know what you're dealing with. Um, you have to deal with the, the shock. Uh, mm -hmm. And just be positive mm -hmm. that it's going to turn out all right. And do you uh, feel as though, like, you know, two years post-op is what I usually tell people, that, you know, they'll feel pretty much back to normal? And do you feel like you're on track for that? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I feel there is already, you know, I, I wake up some days with things changing, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, within two years. Yeah. I don't think there Great. would be a problem there. Okay. Uh, but all I would say is um, don't be afraid of a needle. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming in today, Parker. And for all those listeners out there, um, Parker's wife has also agreed to talk to us later on in another podcast about her experience because I think it's really good to hear both sides. And she was going to come along today, but something came up and it wasn't Parker. So, sorry, <laughs> pardon the pun. Um, so thank you so much for coming and we're really grateful that you came and talked to us. Yeah. Absolutely, my pleasure. And th Yeah, thank you. And uh, I really want to say we the topic can really be penile injections, so not needles. There's another P oh, topic. Oh, perfect. Yes. perfect. Okay. So penile injections. Penile injections. You, what I like to also mention is that a lot of patients can wean off the injections over time. Definitely. And so that's just something to potentially look forward to, mm -hmm. that as your erectile function improves, over the next three, six, 12 months, you might find you can actually wean off the penile injections and end up just using medication and maybe one day not even require them. So it's mm. um it continues to be a pathway of uh, hope and uh, your very early days at just four months or so post-op. So in my experience, I've even had patients improve 
they're wrapped up on three to four years post-operatively. So mm. um, the nerve sparing is, is a goal of the treatment always and uh, sounds to me like it was all done pretty well for you. So mm. Parker, we look forward to talking to you again with your wife Carol and uh, maybe a bit of Prosecco. And I think we just need to rename him. Perfect Patient Parker, the 3P. Oh, the 3P. Okay. Thank you very much. All of my life As I'm growing old now He's getting harder to see Dr Joe here. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We aim to release one podcast per fortnight so please keep in touch so you know when new podcasts are being released. Also, be sure to check out the show notes below so that we can all keep the conversation going. Try to ignore fading of the light. We don't want to go home so soon.